This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters now. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God? Come what may. If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. In recent years, we've seen a lot of people concerned about ways to get sick and possibly die. We've heard the news about the Ebola virus or the Zika virus, for example. But what about worldview viruses, which stealthily attack us at times without our even realizing it? Proverbs fourteen twelve reminds us, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So how do we identify these spiritual viruses, as it were, and counteract them with biblical truth? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Jeff Myers. He is president of Summit Ministries and author of the great new book. It is called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. Jeff, just wonderful to welcome you back. How are you? Thank you, Janet. Well, thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. I think this is interesting. One of the words that I focus on in the title of your book is the fact that it's secret. The ideas that are floating out around there about God, these false worldviews, these false assumptions people have about who God really is. Why the word secret? How do you see this as a secret battle? Well, Janet, it's a secret battle mainly because we just aren't aware of how these ideas influence us. We recently did a study with the Barner Research Group and found that 61% of Christians uh, strongly identify with components of the new spiritualist worldview, 54% with postmodernist worldview, and right on down the line, even a significant number of Christians who think that ideas that are, are unique to Islam and that are anti-Christian are actually good ideas. So people are completely off guard when it comes to these kinds of things. Uh, right now, I've got a little bit of a cold here, so it's kind of an ironic time to be talking <laughs> about viruses. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, a cold sneaks in on you, and you, you never know that you're—you never know that you have it until you have it, because viruses are so tiny that a million smallpox virus can fit inside the period at the end of a sentence. <laughs> it's not possible for us to ever see them, although there are things we can do to uh, to not be sickened by them. Right. Well, I know you guys over at Summit Ministries do such a great job helping Christians to strengthen their biblical worldview. I'm wondering when you talk about the effect of these secret viruses and how you really don't recognize the effect they have until you start to see it demonstrated. Where do you see, you mentioned the, the poll that you've taken, and that's really important information for people to understand. How do you see the effects of the viruses, as it were, coming out in the church right now, kind of in a macro sense? Well, Janet, I think it's, I, I see this effect everywhere in the world and not just in the church, which should give people who are believers and want to share their faith a lot of hope. Everybody in the world is wondering whether they're loved. Is there anybody who loves me for who I am and not just for what I can do for them? Why do I hurt? Everybody experiences pain. These other worldviews seem to have no good answers. Where do I turn for uh, healing? Is, is there any way, is there anybody who can overcome this pain? Uh, what, you know, what purpose do I have in my life? Why can't we all get along? Christopher Hedges from Princeton said, 268 years out of all of human history have been completely at peace. Hmm. So we're, we're people who are at war constantly with ourselves and with, with one another. And then is there any hope in the world? So I, I think these viruses 
make us sick and miserable by convincing us that wrong answers to these questions are actually the right ones. For example, the secular worldview says there's no such thing as love. It's just about sexual chemistry. So just pursue sexual freedom, your own personal sexual identification, and then you will feel loved. But none of of us, we all know that's not true. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's such a fundamental thing when you talk about love, because as Christians, we understand God is love, that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. The Bible talks so much about love, the love of God, our our responsibility to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. What is it that sets apart the biblical view of love from the secular view of love or the love that is understood as some of these other false worldviews seem to understand it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Janet. I go into this in, in detail in the Secret Battle of Ideas About God book, the book you mentioned at the beginning of the show, because I think it's really a fundamental point. There, there are three kinds of love that Greeks commonly talked about. One is eros, which is sexual love. The other is philos, which is brotherly love, the lo- sort of the love of mankind, and sometimes used as the love of family. But Jesus transcended both of those, because, you know, a secularist can say, well, you know, sexual chemistry can explain eros and evolution, you know, want to, you, bar- you want to protect your children and so forth. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's philos. But none of these other worldviews can explain the kind of love Jesus talked about, which is agape love, that there is unconditional love. And the definition of of agape love is loving without regarding the other person's ability to love you back. Mm. That's the kind of love that Jesus and only Jesus has for people. That is quite a distinction. And you're right. I think you do have the situation where the other worldviews could come up with some sort of maybe evolutionary explanation for Eros and all the rest. What about some of those other worldviews, though, that you discuss in the book, like postmodernism, for example, or the new spirituality? How would there be uh, really a disconnect on their understanding of love, somebody who's taken in by that sort of worldview? You know, Janet, I, I want to answer that question, but I, I, it just occurred to me, the worldview checkup we did with the Barner Research Group is now on our website. Oh, great. So people can take it for themselves and see where they, uh, what worldviews they struggle with. Uh, but if, if you just go to secretbattlebook.com, then you can start taking that and, and uh, just see. It might be interesting. Yeah, I'll do Some it. people have been really quite upset <laughs> with the results that they've gotten, which has made them think, which is good. Good. But uh, back to your question. Yeah, new spirituality says that the physical world is an illusion. So the pain you feel is an illusion. Love is an illusion. If you're looking for love outside of yourself, then you're bound to be disappointed. Yeah. The postmodern worldview says... Love is just another term that we use for sexuality. There's no, there, there's no such thing. There, love has no essence, in other words, that, that it projects to people. It's, it's just a word that we use, trying to make up our own reality. Wow. And yet you see these same people who might see a puppy on the side of the road. Oh, he's so cute. Pick him up and stroke him and call the animal control and try to find him a good home. I mean, how do they explain those sorts of things? Because reality flies in the face of some of those claims. You know, it really is interesting. Uh, of course, I sometimes think there's, there's common grace. That heart that we have for things that are vulnerable, I think, is something that God has given to us. Yes. Uh, that, 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 that idea that we have a heart for things that are vulnerable makes no sense according to these other worldviews. Yeah. According to secularism, it's all evolution. You know, if that animal can't care for itself, it deserves to die. If it continues to live, it's actually bad for all of the other animals because it means an inferior animal is taking up space. 
from a Marxist worldview. It's the same as the secular worldview. Let evolution take control. Mm -hmm. The new spiritualist worldview, physical world is an illusion. Why should we even care what things uh, are are like in the physical world? Why should we even bother? You see, Mm -hmm. so each of these other worldviews ends up, if it, if it does care at all, it's borrowing from Christianity to pretend that it cares when, in fact, you cannot support it based on its underlying assumptions. That is terrifying. And one of the other worldviews you also discuss is Islam, who has this idea that life is about conquering. I mean, this is a God they worship who has no feelings, it would seem, for those who submit to him. It, you know, you don't have a personal relationship with Allah. If you're a Muslim, it's not the same sort of God. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, we, we, you know, we know from the Quran that Muslims believe that, that Allah is merciful. But what he's merciful in is not destroying us when we deserve to be destroyed. We are not sons and go- daughters of God. We are his slaves. Right. And we really don't know anything else from Islam's perspective about God, except that uh, he has given a law. And we, we don't, you, you know, you're not trying to love God. You're trying to obey his law right. and not transgress. Right, right. Uh, whenever, whenever love is talked about, in in the uh, Quran, almost every single case, it's how Allah loves those who obey his law and he hates those who do not. It's all about his law. It's not about a person. Right. And by contrast, our God became man, lived a perfect life, suffered at the hands of men he created, didn't save himself so he could be sacrificed to save men who hated him, and then dwells within us when we put our faith and trust in him, which is a gift. I mean, there's love all over the gospel. It's just such a contrast (laughs) from all these other, why would you want to be anything but a Christian? I think that's a wonderful point. And, and, and of course, I had to wrestle through that myself. I wrote this book in a very difficult, dark time in my life when I was even wondering. I didn't wonder whether God existed, but I did begin to question whether or not God is good. Wow, that because is... Because of the difficult things that were happening. Well, I'll tell you and what... I learned about Jesus. Jeff, hang on just a moment. We're going to go to a break, but we'll pick up the conversation on the other side. Jeff Myers, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. We'll come right back. From Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. This is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Now playing. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to to click at JanetMefford.com. 
From Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers comes Courageous Legacy. Celebrating 10 years of impact on families and fathers, remastered in 4K, and including a new ending and bonus scenes. So where are you, men of courage? I believe every father should step up and answer the call and say, I will. I will. Courageous Legacy. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theater September 24th. More information is available at CourageousTheMovie.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. We're so glad you're here and so glad to welcome Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries and author of the new book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. Jeff, you were saying right before we went to that last break that you had written this book at a very difficult time. And I wanted to hear more about that as we have come back from the break and, and give you a little bit of time to extrapolate and explain what was going on. Yeah, well, Janet, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. I, I've shared this publicly in, in the book, things that I haven't really talked about openly. You know, it's very difficult sometimes in the church to, to express what you're really going through, because it seems like, uh, it does seem like church sometimes is a place where you're supposed to put a happy face on it. You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> yes. And, and so I, I went through a time a few years ago where through, uh, through um, a tragic series of circumstances, uh, I lost my marriage. Mm. And I had, I was a, a single dad trying to take care of my kids. And I, I just, you know, doing it on adrenaline after a while, I just wore out. And I began to sink into a depression. And a buddy took me on a hunting trip, which was a great kind gesture because that's what guys do yes. when they're uh, distressed as they shoot helpless birds out of the air. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, on this hunting trip, I went for a long run and I just, I just broke. I just really was dealing with God and saying, what? What is, why are you doing this to me? I love you. I've served you. You're, you're just a bully. You're just kicking me when I'm down. And it was a, it was a real Job moment for me. And, and it was right about the time I had gotten the contract to write this book. Mm-hmm. The mentor had said to me over and over again, he said, Jeff, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. So I decided I would wrestle aloud. And here I was, the author of these three huge textbooks on biblical worldview and apologetics, you know, 5,000 footnotes, 50 different subject matter experts, 120 instructors working with, here at work, working with us here at Summit on all kinds of apologetics issues. And I was really personally struggling. Mm. Jesus, are you really there? Do you really have the answers to these questions? And that's when I wrote down those five questions. Am I loved? Why do I hurt? What is my purpose? Why can't we get along? And what hope is there? Mm-hmm. I went right back into the Gospels to look at the teachings of Jesus in a new way, just asking God to reveal to me his truth of what Jesus really did, not just putting a happy face on it, but giving me unconditional love. Uh, on the question of healing, I, I, had, I, I, I rem- remember the passage where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes. And I looked up that word overcome in, in, the, in a Greek dictionary. It's the word nikeo. Uh, the, from the Greek goddess Nike. Hmm. It means that Jesus has deprived evil of its ability to destroy what is most important about us. Right. And that victory, Jesus said, is claimed day by day. That's why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. I had been conditioned by other worldviews to believe that pain ends when the pain, you know, when the pain, when the hurt ends. Mm-hmm. If the hurt goes away, then, I, then I'm no longer suffering. 
But that's not true. From God's perspective, Jesus has won the victory. We're not out there to win it. We're just out there to proclaim that he's won the victory. And it's day by day. Yeah. And, and Janet, I, I know it'll take a little bit of time, but in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that's a passage I went to over and over again. In fact, a friend made a picture for me with that verse on it that I, the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. Yeah, that's wonderful. I would wake up in those mornings, Janet, and I would think, I can't do another year of this. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. And, and it's as if God would say through Scripture, let's not do another year. Let's just do today. Perfect. And that was literally day by day that Jesus revealed through his word what, uh, how he answers these big life questions in a way that the other world views competing for our attention and that dominate the airwaves and dominate the political realm simply can't answer. And so the Secret Battle of Ideas About God book for me was um, – maybe the most important thing I've ever done. It's certainly the most difficult thing I've ever done. I mean, trying to write in the middle of pain is really extraordinary. It is. It is. But you're also able to convey truth in a personal way that, that just doing something academically would not convey in the same way. And that's, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to you, Jeff, and I'm really sorry for what you've gone through because I, I really feel terrible. It is difficult to walk that sort of a road for sure. But when you look at these questions as you've outlined them in the book and you talk about how in Christ our suffering will be overcome and you talk about how Jesus heals our hurts, how Jesus gives us the victory. How does that become so important from a biblical worldview to understand that so when you do hit those horrible moments in life that virtually all of us face at one time or another, regardless of the situation, how did that become real to you to say suffering is part of the Christian life and there are real answers in scripture that help me not just academically, but help me individually as a human? Yeah, well, Janet, there were two, a couple of things. I, I had to approach it from two different angles. One is just what, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? But the second one is, is there any place else to go? Yeah. I, I remember in a, in a part of this dark time, I just remember thinking, God, you had better be there because I've got no place else to go. It's true. And, and, and it was sort of, that was why, when I said it was a Job moment, that's kind of what I meant. I remember when Philip Yancey wrote about Job, he said, when all of the gifts were removed, Job, Job didn't seek the giver because of the gifts. When all of the gifts were removed, he still sought the giver. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, I think, is the heart of a biblical worldview. We will have trouble in this world, but the victory has been won. And we're not trying to win anything. We're just proclaiming what has already been won. That opened up scripture. That became a new lens through which I could understand what God was saying in in the Gospels. And then even how how the entire Old Testament was sort of a pre-Gospel leading up to that. And I was able to begin reading scripture every day in a new way to, to glean new truths out of it. And, and just to have a sense of patience. Janet, I, I, I'm the president of a ministry. I mean, we're, we run and gun. We have students here all summer long. Closure is really important to me. Okay, get the project started, get it done. Yeah. And now I'm much more willing to be in a place where, well, I'm, I'm going to pursue the calling that I have. But I recognize there may be a lot of areas where there isn't closure. Michael Card said once, some of our most pressing questions, we're going to go to our grave with those questions unanswered. Yes. So the question is, why would I keep moving on? From these other worldviews, there is no reason. 
It's true. In Jesus, I have a victory to proclaim. That's right. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I seem to remember that from long ago, <laughs> going yeah. through the pages of Scripture. What about this question of meaning, Jeff? Because this is something that I think most people can relate to, regardless of whether or not they know the Lord Jesus. I want to have purpose in life. I want to have meaning. I want to find a family. I want to be able to have a meaningful career or whatever it happens to be. How do you find the biblical worldview answering that question of purpose and meaning in a superior way to all of the alternative worldviews out there. Yeah, thank you, Janet. I, I, I'd like to do a whole other show on this sometime. That'd be and great. I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to just return people, because I know the time is short, to secretbattlebook.com. Great. That's where you can find information about the book, because I deal with that specifically in the book. Jesus' idea, uh, Jesus' answer to that is calling. Kaleo is the, is the Greek word. The idea of calling, that each one of us has a unique and intentional calling from our Creator. Other worldviews simply don't even approach this. The secular worldview is there is no real calling. We, you know, we're just a species as humans. As Richard Dawkins put it, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Mm-hmm. The Marxist worldview says our calling comes about when we try to we take down the rich. That's, that's essentially that, that worldview, that right. the rich have everything that's bad in the world is because of rich people, and so we need to take them down, and when we do, that will give us a sense of purpose. New spirituality says quit seeking purpose because the physical world is an illusion. If there's any purpose at all, it comes from being united with the oneness that is all things. But that's a spiritual thing. It's not anything that's going to happen in this physical world. Right. Postmodernism just doubts that there's any kind of truth at all. So seeking purpose is just just do what you feel like you want to do. Um, Islam essentially says just obey God's law and your life will be purposeful. Hmm. So, so I looked at all those others and I thought, I'm just, there's nothing there really. Uh, I had an experience with some sled dogs. I went on a sled dog expedition and the, the guy didn't yell at the dogs. He whispered to them. And I thought that was so incredible. And I asked him later, why did you whisper? And he said, um, he said, these dogs were made for this. They lived for this. And when you're doing what you're designed to do, your master can guide you with a whisper. Oh, wow. I think Scripture is calling us to step back from the noise of our culture. And it is noisy, isn't it? Even oh, yeah. the television commercials we see come out several decibels higher than the program we're watching. <laughs> yes. Billboards, uh, T-shirts, whatever it is, we're being constantly pushed and pulled in every direction. And there's a time to stop, to be still, and to say, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to pay attention to what you've said in your word. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to seek wise counsel from people who love you. And then, then we begin to sense that calling that sometimes eludes us in the culture such as ours. This is also good. The contrasting and comparing, I think, is so helpful for a lot of Christians to say, not only do I need to embrace my biblical worldview more fully, but I need to understand how bankrupt the other worldviews are. And I think that's what's really missing a lot of times, Jeff, is people do benefit. I think Christians do benefit from understanding the bankruptcy of other worldviews. And doesn't it all come down in the end to the understanding, as you well said, where else are you going to go? Even if your life is hard, even if things are difficult, even if you don't understand everything or you don't have closure on every question, where else will you go except to Jesus? That, I think, is one of the most profound things you could say. I, I, I love the, the way you've just summarized it and expressed it. It's so helpful. You know, people wouldn't embrace other worldviews if they had no truth at all. We're, we're smarter than that. Right. There are little bits of truth. But there are little bits of truth and a counterfeit, too. It looks like a real thing. It, it seems like a real thing. It looks to other people who aren't really keen observers like the real thing. 
It's not that there's no truth in these other worldviews. It's that the truth is masked with lies that the culture gives, and it, and it, is, it keeps those other worldviews from unlocking reality for us. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We want to know what is really real, and then how can I live it out? I love it. Well, secretbattlebook.com, the secret battle of ideas about God, the book by Dr. Jeff Myers. Jeff, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you very much for being with us again. Thank you, Janet. Blessed to be with you. This portion of Janet Meffer today is brought to you by Courageous Legacy, remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13 in theaters September 24th. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Courageous Legacy, the new movie from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers. Remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters, September 24th. This is Janet Meffer Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Meffer. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. One of my very favorite hymns is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And in the third stanza, there's that powerful lyric reminding us of God's pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. It's hard to even read that without singing it. But I often focus on that line, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, because that reminds me that whatever I'm enduring in the moment, my father will give me his strength to go through it, which is evidence of his great faithfulness to me and to all of us. We all need the strength of the Lord to live, to handle sadness or difficult times. And the Bible speaks a lot to this subject. So we're going to talk about the subject of strength today with Robert J. Morgan. He has been teaching pastor of the Donaldson Fellowship in Nashville for 35 years and is author of a great new book we're going to talk about called The Strength You Need, the 12 Great Strength Passages of the Bible. Robert, it's great to welcome you here. How are you today? I'm very well, Janet. Thank you for letting me be with you. Well, it's my honor to have you here. This is a neglected subject a little bit, I think. I get a lot of books. I get a lot of pitches for a lot of different subjects. And this is a topic that I haven't heard a lot of pastors focusing on. Why do you think that might be? Well, I don't know, because we have never lived at a time in which we have faced the stress and strains and weariness of life the way that we are now. And we just need a lot of strength. And at the beginning of the book, I tell uh, how my wife and I just felt unusually weak. Uh, She has a debilitating illness, and I'm a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And we just went to the Bible and found these verses that have to do with strength, and we chose 12 of them as our extra strength Bible verses. And I just think that everybody needs to tap into the strength that is beyond ourselves. We just can't make it through the weariness of life on our own energy. But the Lord has promised to give us strength. So why this is neglected, I don't know, but it's not because of lack of need. That's for sure. Well, and it also seems to become more pertinent when you are walking through a time where you feel weak. And maybe part of our problem in the church is we think we're doing fine. There are, you know, I don't need a lot of strength. I might need a little bit of assistance, a little bit of help here and there. What do you think is important to remember just from a biblical context about every Christian's need, every sinner's need for God's strength? Well, the word strength occurs 232 times in the Bible, and there are 
another 40 times, 4-0, 40 times, when the command is given to us to be strong mm. in the Bible. It's not just something that we ought to do. It really is an obligation. The Lord expects His people to be strong in this world. And the reason, I think, is because we have a very strong God. In fact, He is omnipotent. There are so many references to the power and the might and the strength of God, which is infinite. We're told that He can do anything, and the words He is able or God is able to occur over and over again in the Bible. And we have to learn how to plug our 40-watt lives into the nuclear reactor of His very personality. And so the Bible gives us a lot of verses, and there are times when if we are weary or tired or we're not sure we can go on, we can just sort of plug into one of those verses the way we plug our cell phone into the current. And there is something about the power of God's Word, particularly in these great strength passages in the Bible, that helps us to renew our energy. Absolutely. You featured, obviously, 12 of the strength passages of the Bible in your book. Is there one of the 12 that means more to you than the others? All of them are awesome, of course. They're all great. But of these 12, is there one that really grabs you the most when you survey all the 12 that you've put down here? Well, I keep coming back to Deuteronomy 33:25, which says your strength will equal your days. Right. I know, Janet, that you love hymns. You quoted, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I've written about the great hymns in my books, Then Sings My Soul, Book 1, Book 2, and Book 3. Yes. And there is a wonderful old hymn that I know you're familiar with called um, How Firm a Foundation. Uh, yes. And one of the stanzas uses this verse as its key, and very often I'll find myself just reviewing it. It says, In every condition, in sickness, in health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth, at home or abroad, on the land or the sea, as our days may demand, shall our strength ever be. Mm-hmm. And that's based on Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-five. and to me, it is a promise from God that we will never have a day with burdens that are great or tasks that are heavy without his promising to give us the strength we need for whatever he allows for that day. Every day we'll have God-given strength equivalent to what the needs are in our lives for that day. That is his promise. That is wonderful. And I love that hymn. I'm glad that you quoted that too. So when you look at the truth that your strength will equal, equal your days, another verse that you mentioned that I think plays into this, they all do, but Habakkuk 3.19, you focus on this verse as well, that starts out, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And I think sometimes we often talk about the Lord giving me strength, helping me have more strength, these sorts of uh, ways of talking. What about the sovereign Lord as strength itself? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, it comes out of our relationship and our abiding enjoyment of his presence. Now, you know, we all need physical strength, and there are things we can do with exercise and nutrition and taking care of ourselves to keep ourselves physically just as strong as possible. But on a physical basis, on an emotional basis, and on a spiritual basis, there is an energy and an enthusiasm that comes into our lives just because we have the joy and the privilege and the presence of God in our hearts. There's another verse that I refer to, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. So, you know, I don't know how people who don't know the Lord or who do not 
draw upon scriptures like this, really make it through the day, because life is so exhausting. I mean, everywhere (laughs) I go now, I see exhausted people, and sometimes I'm that way myself. But I don't think the Lord intends for us to live exhausted lives. He doesn't want us to live in perpetual weariness. That's not His plan for us. He wants us to have enthusiasm and strength sufficient for our days, and it really does come from a spiritual source within us. It comes from our relationship with the Lord and our daily communion and fellowship with Him and this daily interaction we have with His Word and with verses like I've uh, listed here in this book, The Strength You Need. Absolutely. I think also of another passage as I'm going through every Bible verse you read, you think of another one that kind of corresponds with it. So I'm sure it was difficult to whittle this all down to 12 verses. But you think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. And he goes on to say, I'm content with weaknesses and insults for when I am weak, then I am strong. What is that connection, would you say, between the weakness that we have and the strength that we have because we are weak, because of Christ? It's, for, for, if you just read it on its face, it might seem a little confusing, but how do you explain that concept? Yes, well, in my book here, uh, The Strength You Need, I talk about how the Lord calls us to do things which we can begin in our strength, but we can only complete it in His. Uh, so many things. I've been a pastor for many, many years, and I've been a caregiver for 26 years, and uh, so many things that um, I begin doing, I run out of energy long before I get to the completion of that task or the resolution of that burden. And I just have to... Uh, uh, sort of switch uh, gears and begin depending on the Lord's strength for it. And I think that pleases him because he obviously wants us to do things in his strength and in his energy, and he wants us to do things uh, which we can never do in our own strength. No amount of human strength can change another person's heart or change another person's life or uh, make uh, a sermon or a Bible lesson effective or or do some act of kindness that is really going to be eternal in its significance. We can never do those things. We are too weak to, but as we begin doing them, the Lord comes into our lives with His strength, and somehow He takes those simple tasks or duties or burdens or prayers or acts of kindness that we do, and He infuses it with strength that has eternal significance. So that means that The impact that we make doesn't depend upon our being strong people in ourselves. Sometimes our weakness is accentuated by his strength, and he can often do more with humble people than he can with those who think they're stronger than maybe they are. Oh, I think that's very well said. We're going to come back after this break. Robert J. Morgan with us. The Strength You Need, the 12 Great Strength Passages of the Bible is his book. We'll return on Janet Mufford today right after this. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He severely beat young Aria and called the authorities to report her as an infidel. They took her to a remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend before letting them go. These two women didn't grow bitter. They grew bold and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East, where Christians are urged to support new believers. You suddenly realize how critical it is for Christians not just to assume God will look after their brothers and sisters who have converted from Islam, but that they will be prepared to walk with them. Help send God's word to believers like Aria. One Bible is only $5, and a limited time match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we do realize how weak we are. We are very weak as sinners, daily in need of the Lord's strength to get us through the day, to get us through our lives, regardless of what is going on. And we are talking with Pastor Robert J. Morgan about his book called The Strength You Need, The 12 Great Strength Passages of the Bible. Now, there's another passage that I think is really a great verse. I've always loved this passage that you quote in the book, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What is that really talking about when you evaluate this passage in context and the Lord wanting to strengthen those whose hearts are His? Yes, that's an Old Testament verse that comes from the Old Testament story of King Asa. And so in this book, you know, I'm a Bible teacher, and I try to look at every passage in its context. I also try to illustrate it with the best stories that I can find so that it's very readable and relatable. And this story is unusually vivid. It has to do with King Asa, who became a king when he was very young, was a godly and great man, led his nation very, very well. And then there's an interesting 25-year gap in the story. And when we come back and we see him in his latter years, he has become old and apostate and uh, no longer walking with the Lord and no longer living the way he should. Uh, He really has become just an ugly, corrupt old man. And we don't know exactly how or why that happened, but the prophet came and rebuked him and said, you should have remained committed to the Lord. And that's where that verse occurs. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And as I read that story, it reminds me 
that I need to use every opportunity of life, every significant occasion, to rededicate myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in times in which there are so many opportunities to pull away and to be distracted and to be tempted. Uh, Our age is becoming as corrupt as it was in the days of Noah. And so, you know, when I have a birthday or when I have a a new grandchild born or uh, when I change... uh, uh, my status in life, or or um, have a change of job, or there is anything significant that happens. I think that these are good mile markers for us. Uh, the Bible uses the word Ebenezer, hitherto as the Lord helped us, and we need to find all of the significant occasions in life and just let those be opportunities for us to rededicate ourselves to the Lord, because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all of the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's a great passage, as we mentioned. And another famous one, every Christian will know this one, Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. And there in that passage, you see God not just as our strength, but our refuge, that those are put together. Why is that significant, do you think, that the concept of the refuge that God offers to us in addition to being our strength? Well, the word refuge here uh, can mean fortress. And, uh, in fact, this was the basis for Martin Luther's hymn, uh, as long as we're talking about hymns, yes. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He yep. based it on Psalm 46. So if you're being chased or pursued by an enemy and you're running across the field and there in the distance you see your friend's fortress or castle, you run across the drawbridge and the drawbridge is lifted and you are enclosed within that fortress. The fortress is something that is on the outside of you. But then strength is something that is on the inside of you. And so when it says God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble, in my book I say this means that God is your refuge on the outside and your strength on the inside and your help on the downside of life. I love it. This is a very good verse to uh, commit to memory, Psalm 46, verse 1. Yes, and the whole, as you mentioned, the whole psalm, which is the uh, passage used by Luther for a mighty fortress, which is probably my favorite hymn, by the way. (laughs) Now, when you go to another book of the Bible, you find more strength passages, and that is the book of Isaiah. And you have quite a few verses from Isaiah that you focus on in the book, one of which is, Again, Isaiah 40, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. A lot of people have that on a little card and read that in the morning while they're having their coffee. What is that really talking about, renewing your strength? Clearly, we go through cycles of feeling weak, feeling strong, but what is that passage really getting at? Well, this is a very vivid passage. I mentioned my wife is wheelchair-bound, and she's taken this verse and made it up into a little song that she sings to herself. But Isaiah here was speaking um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a great knowledge of science, because all over the world right now, Janet, there are columns of air rising up from the surface of the world, and uh, they are called thermals by the scientists, and they help regulate our weather patterns, and we can't see them with our natural eye. But when you look across the landscape, there are these columns of hot air going upwards, and eagles know how to spread out their wings and find these thermal columns and get beneath them, and it lifts them up, 
just almost like you're going up in an elevator. Mm-hmm. They don't have to flap their wings. They don't have to do anything or exert any energy. They just uh, stretch out those majestic wings, and these thermal columns take them up as high as they want to go into the sky. And then when they get to their floor, they just duck out and soar downward uh, with all of that majesty that we love to see. And to me, this is the biblical picture of finding promises of God that radiate up out of the Bible and simply spreading out the wings of faith and being caught by the updraft of the Holy Spirit. It's a very powerful passage. Uh, You know, I've had many distresses in my life. You have, we all have. That's just a part of life. But I've never, ever encountered a problem for which I couldn't go to the Bible and find some promise that God gave me to help me through that problem. Mm -hmm. And when I find that promise that meets my need at any given time, I may underline it, I may put the date in the margin of my Bible, but what I'm really doing is stretching out the wings of faith and letting that promise keep me up above the circumstances and lift me higher. And that's what the Bible refers to as renewing our strength and it lets us, as the verse says, lift up ourselves on wings like eagles and to run and not be weary, to walk and not be faint. It's a powerful picture from nature of yes. the exercise of faith that helps us to renew our strength. That is fascinating, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who have not heard that before, myself included. That's really, really interesting. Well, now, look at Mark 12. This is another verse, Mark 12:30, that you point out where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, for the Christians, what do you mean all of my strength, Lord? Everything in me, all of the energy I have, what does that mean? Well, you know, we hardly ever see anybody do something with all their strength. Perhaps during the Olympics or some great athletic competition, we'll see people go to the very maximum of uh, exerting their strength on a particular task. Uh, It just means that you give it everything you've got. And this uh, verse amazed me as I studied it, uh, Janet, because I looked up every reference to loving God in the Bible, what it means to love Him. And there are a lot of verses about how God loves us, but there, and there are a lot of verses about how we should love other people, but there are a handful, about 50 passages in the Bible, about what it means to love God. And there are a lot, and a lot of those are promises uh, that are given by God for those who love Him. For example, Romans 8.28, um, all things work together for good to those who love Him, to who are called according to His purpose. But as I looked up how the Bible defines our love for Him, it talks about how we are to obey Him and how we're to hate evil. The Bible says those who love the Lord hate evil, and how we are to express our love for him. The psalmist said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about how if we love God, we'll help other people, because if we uh, don't help other people, how can the love of God be within us? And it talks about how we are to love his word. Psalm 119 says, Uh, Lord, I love you. I love your word. Those two things go together, and so we can measure our love for the Lord by how involved we are in reading his Bible every day. 
So this is just, it was a great lesson for me to look up these 50 passages about what it means in the Bible for us to love God. And I sort of did a little study of that and explained it as best I could in this book, in that chapter on loving the Lord your God with all your strength. Well, it is a wonderful passage to really delve into. All of these passages are. And finally, I want to hit on this before we run out of time very quickly. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Comment on that one. Well, that's Philippians 4 and verse 13. It was written by the Apostle Paul in jail to his friends at, um, in the city of Philippi who were very, very distressed and upset. They knew that he had been in prison. They knew that they themselves were threatened. They thought that maybe the whole Christian movement was going to collapse. Yeah. But Paul said, no, you can be content. You can be happy. You can do all this through the one who infuses you with strength. I love it. Well, the name of the book, The Strength You Need, The 12 Great Strength Passages of the Bible, Pastor Robert J. Morgan with us. Thank you so much, Robert. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. God bless you. And thank you for listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. God bless. This hour of Janet Meffer today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters now.